two men are walking the dusty road out of the city. They're friends, followers of Jesus, or at least they were followers of Jesus. As they walk, they're talking about the headlines out of Jerusalem, everything that's happened in the city over the last few days. They're trying to piece together how everything went wrong so quickly. Tensions in the city had been high, they'd known that, but suddenly there'd been an angry mob and Jesus was dragged away. Then there was an arrest, a rush of a trial, a near riot, and finally Jesus was crucified. News spread quickly, bad news usually does. And the headlines look pretty hopeless. Headlines always look that way, really. Sometimes I wonder if reading the news might be the very worst way to start the day. The headlines shout about everything that's wrong with the world. And like newsprint, that stuff has a tendency to rub off on us, making us wonder if things may be pretty hopeless after all. And then there are the headlines of our own lives, times when it seems bad news comes and finds us where we live. It's the bill in the mail that we know we can't cover. It's the relationship that we've pushed past the breaking point. It's the ultrasound that confirms our worst fears. And it's the call that it's time to say our last goodbyes. These things will never be headlines, but they certainly choke out hope. These are the kinds of weighty things these friends are discussing. When suddenly they're joined by a third man, someone they're sure they've never met, a stranger. But what's actually strange here is that they do know this man. It's Jesus. But for some reason, they're unable to recognize him. By some supernatural power, they're blind to who he really is. But I think that blindness has something to do with their hearts. When I was five or six, I was afraid of the dark. I mean, just terrified. So I would sleep with a nightlight. My parents, they'd kiss me goodnight, and then they'd turn it on and turn my bedroom light off, and then the hallway light, and it would get pretty dark, but I still had the glow of that nightlight. Except one time, I remember they forgot. They kissed me goodnight, turned off the bedroom light, and then the hallway light, and suddenly it was as if the darkness was rushing in on me. And I squeezed my eyes shut as tight as I could, and I started screaming at the top of my lungs, just screaming. And within a few seconds, my parents were there, and they were able to calm me down, but I still kept my eyes closed. I was just so afraid of what might be waiting for me in the dark. But my eyes were shut so tight that I couldn't see that my mom and dad had already turned on every single light in the house. Hopelessness can do that too. Sometimes we get so worried about all the dark things we see happening in the world that we shut our eyes so tight and we can't see the moment when the lights come on. Toward the end of the day, these friends finally arrive in Emmaus and they invite their new friend to dinner. And it's this stranger who takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it. Something about this feels familiar to those friends. They've shared a meal like this before. And that's the moment when their eyes are opened. That's the moment when they see that it's Jesus. It's the moment when they realize the resurrection has happened. And they also realize that though they couldn't see it, hope had been walking 
right along with them on the road. The story he's talking about, of course, is the story of the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. You know, we're all walking our own Emmaus journey. We all have these things along the way that are our trials and our struggles, the things that we face that cause us to feel pretty hopeless. Last Sunday uh, morning, Al and Mary Thomas were standing by the bedside of Al's brother as he went uh, into eternity. Of course, this past week we had the funeral here for Nanette Konjevich, and then Jason Henson's mother died this past week, and Bree Grayson spent time, a lot of time in the hospital with her father who was dealing with a, a life and death situation with his breathing and his lungs. And those are just the physical things. Those are just the physical things that test us and challenge us and cause us to wonder, you know, there's so much bad news in my life. How am I supposed to handle all of this? And yet we are reminded because of the resurrection, we are reminded because of Easter that hope was right beside us all along. I love this story. I, I love these people walking along the road, sitting down, and as that, that bread is broken, their eyes are open and they realize it's Jesus, it's Christ. And as Jesus leaves, as he goes away, the story goes on to say that the two of them talk to each other and say, did our hearts not burn within us when he spoke? There was this recognition, there's a sense inside that what was being spoken was being spoken by someone they loved, was being spoken by God himself. And for all of us, that's the moment that we realize that we're not alone on the road. That Jesus is there right with us and we have that sensation in our hearts that we are not alone. So this morning we're going to be reminded once again that we're not alone as we partake of communion. As the bread and cup is passed to us, take one of each. Maybe sit there for a moment with it in your hands and, and reflect on the fact that, that you are not alone in this moment. No matter what's happening on your Emmaus journey, you are not alone. And then take communion and be reminded of the presence of Christ with you, beside you, to guide you and comfort you all the time. While that is taking place, Shelley will be singing a song that, that we've heard before, one that, one that sings to our hearts and souls about that road that we're on. And then there will be a point that she'll ask us to stand and, and we'll join in singing some incredibly familiar words, it is well with my soul. A, a statement as well as a question to all of us. So how is my soul today? Is my soul well? Do I have that clear sense that I am not alone on this road? Now around here, one of the tools that we like to use in order to see Christ formed in us more fully is silence. And a lot of times we use silence as a lead-in to communion, but instead today we're going to do the opposite. So after we've had communion and after we've sang, we're going to take a minute to just be quiet, to pause in the presence of God and let the words and the thoughts, to let that moment in which you realized hope was by you all along, uh, to let that moment really sink in and enjoy the presence of Jesus. So let me pray as we get ready for communion. Father God in heaven, right now we are grateful that no matter where our Emmaus journey may be taking us, no matter how full our paper may be with bad news, hope is beside us all the time. Let that be burning in our hearts today.
In Jesus' name.
through it all, you're right by our side. Give us a greater, a stronger, and a clearer awareness that we are not alone. You are here. You are God. Thanks for showing your love to us and for making yourself known to us. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. While our lights are coming up, and while they do, uh, I want to encourage you to go ahead and take that folder that you were handed on the way in. There's a card on the inside of that. And we'd like for you to always go ahead and fill out at least your name. And let me tell you part of the reason we like that. It's good to be able to go through those cards and learn names. Names are important to us around here. We don't want to just be an anonymous crowd. We want to know each other and to be able to connect with each other. And so uh, that's one of the reasons that it's helpful for us if you go ahead and do that. If you're new, fill out as much of the card as you want. And on the way out, uh, take the card actually with you. And there's someone at the door. His name is John, and he'll have a gift there that he wants to give to you. You know, this past week, there were a few times that we sent out emails to people who have signed up for prayer requests. Uh, we, we have a lot of people on our email list, and to be honest, we, we don't want to like inundate them with emails, especially if they're new to the church. We don't want them getting a number of them and kind of like, you know, that's it, we're unsubscribing, we, we're tired of all the, the barrage that we're getting. And so we separate out prayer emails in particular uh, to go to people who we know will pray and who, who are interested in hearing those things about other people. So uh, if that's you, a big box on the back of the card, write the word prayer in there, and we'll include you in those emails. It will be helpful if on the front you put your name and email address, because otherwise we can't just send prayer out you know, to the ether or something like that, okay? So that would be very helpful to us. So back in the day, long, long time ago, back in the day on Black Road, we did a day camp. It was legendary. It was epic. It was a blast. It was a great time. A few years into these great camps with our little kids, we decided that we wanted to get our older kids in on what was happening. And, and so we would do camp from Monday to Thursday, and then on Friday, we transitioned to what was called the, the junior high mega camp out. And I got to admit to you personally, the details of the mega camp out are really, really blurry. Literally, I mean, by Friday night, I would just be a walking zombie. I was just doing stuff, and I, I don't remember hardly any of it. Fortunately, we have video, and I'm able to watch some of it, right? Uh, they'd have these huge games outside, a lot of fun. One year, there was a rock climbing wall. We had a concert, I think. Either that or I had a dream. But nonetheless, I'm pretty sure we had a concert one time. Um, and then at some point, we'd go inside the church for teaching, and it usually involved a skit. Now, to say the word skit is such an understatement. It was a pretty elaborate drama. It was a good time. So I have this memory of being at the old place, standing in the back, back of the room, the back corner over there, literally exhausted, and I was watching this skit and cracking up the entire time. Our team of teachers decided to do their own version of American Idol. It had to be a year or two into the show uh, being started on TV. I had never seen the show before that night. I, I, of course, heard about it, but had never seen it. Some of the nutty personalities of Idol were starting to make their way into the American consciousness, you know, Critical Simon and Strung Out Paula and all that sort of thing. So I'm standing in the back, and Jeff Buck, our worship leader at the time, gets up, and he's dressed in like this country getup, which is just 
comical to think about, if you know Jeff. He's there in his country getup, and he starts to sing this song of total self-adulation. You know, what about me? What about I? What about number one? And then the judges criticized, and the judges whined. And at some point, there's this one contestant. His name was Blake Johnson. Blake used to play the bass for us. He's now a lecturer at U of I in Champaign. I mean, he just goes ballistic. He didn't like what the judges said. He jumps the table. He starts taking the judge out. It was, it was pretty wild. By the way, I have video of this skit, and throughout this series, we'll kind of play some clips from it. Uh, pretty funny stuff. I mean, it, it looks kind of like uh, an episode of the Flintstones. The video is really old and whatever, but nonetheless, it's, it's pretty cool. So that was my official introduction to American Idol. That's how I found out about it. I love that our team at that time was on the cutting edge of sharing biblical truth in a language spoken by our little digital natives. I mean, they were speaking in a way that the kids understood. Well, years have passed. Simon is gone. Randy Jackson finally moved on. Steven Tyler came and went. J-Lo came and went and came back again. And here we are, season 15, final episode is just around the corner. So I thought it a fitting bookend. With the revival of day camp just a few short months away, a new day dawns. The old is gone. The new is coming. And so we're going to talk idols again. Uniquely American idols. The idols that America worships. Honestly, the idols that American Christians worship. Because we do have our idols. Because of our Judeo-Christian heritage, literal stone statue idol worship has not been a popular part of our culture. Having said that, we have not steered clear as Americans of idol worship. We've crafted some of our own that do not sit in a shrine or on a mantle, but they're as real as a stone statue. Now, as we get into this, it's important to look at basically the command that's the basis for the entire series. We find it in Exodus chapter 20, which is where you'll find the listing of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says, then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, from your place of slavery. You shall not have any other God but me. He goes on to say, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or image of anything in the heavens above or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. Now, depending on the way you count the Ten Commandments. This is either the first commandment or it is the first and second commandment. I didn't know this until very, very recently. Uh, Maybe I slept through this class at Trinity and and that is very possible. I worked all night, quite possible. Jews, Protestants, and Roman Catholics have different ways of counting the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? Oh good, I'm not alone. Oh, wonderful. So I want to show you this chart. It, it's probably not totally the easiest to read here, but, 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 it, but I hope it's helpful. So the middle section there is Hebrew, and if you know that, good for you. And the other part's English, and if you know that, good for you. And then, and then the lines over here, they indicate uh, who counts how. So the blue line is the Jewish people. The Jewish people, so that first line that says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, from the place of slavery, they count that as the first commandment. That's the first commandment. The second commandment is, you must have no other gods before me, and you shouldn't have any idols. They take those two and make them as one. Go to the other side. 
For the Catholics, that entire section is the first commandment. So I am the Lord your God, no other gods but me, and idols are all one commandment. In the middle you have us, (coughs) Protestant, Reformed, Anglican, Orthodox. We take that first line to kind of be a, a prologue, an introduction to what's coming. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, from the place of slavery. Then the first commandment is, you must have no other gods before me. We kind of like that, thou shalt not thing. That's, that's how we number. Then the second one, you must not have any idols. So, so you see the difference between the three. And, and why is that important? Well, it is quite possible that you're talking to a Catholic friend and you mention the fourth commandment and about 10 minutes into the conversation you go, we are not talking about the same thing. I mean, if you look at the chart, it actually, it takes all the way down to the 10th commandment before we're on the same page. All that in the middle is numbered differently. So there's some different numbering going on and for, you know, for some of you, you're going, that's fascinating. For others of you, you're going, yeah, neat, whatever. So anyway, gives you something to talk about over lunch. If we were to do a review of the Ten Commandments, a reflective review, a personal review, one that asks the question, how am I doing with these? How am I living these out? We could start down the list, and I suspect at one point or another, we'd have to confess that we have some issues. There are some areas that we've strayed. We're not quite getting it right. Let me just look at a few of them. Honoring mom and dad or the Sabbath. You know, you look at those two commandments in alone, and for you, that might just lead you to a theological debate. You start debating things like, what does it mean to honor your mother and your father when you're 52 years old? What does that look like? Or the Sabbath. Wasn't that fulfilled in Christ? Do I still have to do that? You see, the thing that's interesting, theological debates are safe. We can live up here in our heads, and we don't have to worry about how it impacts our lives. But the commandments aren't given to live in our head. The commandments are given to live out in our lives. Murder, adultery. You're feeling good about that. No bodies in the backyard. I'm doing okay there. But then you come over to Jesus who says, hate is murder. Lust is adultery. And now you're going, oh my, okay, maybe I'm not doing as well as I thought. Stealing. False accusation against my neighbor, speaking ill of others, gossip. How about coveting? We have an entire national election right now that demonstrates that the American heart wants what the other guy's got. It's what it's all about for us. Granted, the list has changed. Slavery and donkeys have been displaced by cash, cars, and condos on the beach. Coveting is alive and well in America and in American Christianity. But the first two... You must have no other gods before me. You must make no idols. We're fine there, right? We're doing okay there. I mean, we've never slipped over to Buddhism or or worshipped Baal. We're doing okay. I've never crafted an idol. I mean, I wore an I Am Second wristband once. I have a picture of Jesus, but no idols. In these two areas, American Christians feel pretty safe. One God, no idols. Let's move on to number three. We're doing all right. You know, it was Martin Luther who stated that you could not violate the other nine commandments without breaking that first one. You should have no other gods before me. All of the commandments are rooted in our relationship with God. That's what it's all about. We tend to see the the Ten Commandments as just a list of rules. And in some ways it is. Let's face it, it is a list of rules. But it's more than that. 
God was not looking for a tribe of robots who would simply offer him sacrifices. He was laying out what it looks like to love him. He was saying, this is what it looks like to love me. Have you ever had your spouse or significant other ask you that question, do you love me? Do you love me? There are three legitimate answers to this question. The first is yes, to which the Family Feud host would say, good answer, good answer. Someone asked, do you love me? You should say yes, that's good. You could say no, and that's going to lead to an uncomfortable moment. It's not going to be good. But there's a third answer to the question, do you love me? And that is, what do you want? What is it you want? Just tell me, what do you want? If you really loved me, you would fill in the blank. That, that, that goes sometimes with that question, do you love me? In the Ten Commandments, God is saying, if you really loved me, you'd do these ten things. If you really loved me, this is the way you would live. In fact, you could broaden it a bit. He might say, if you really love me, and if you really love your neighbor, you would do these ten things. The first four speak directly to our relationship with God. The last six speak to how we relate to others. And we need to understand the way we treat others is not just a reflection on how much we love them. It's a reflection on how much we love God. Sometimes my love for another person is not enough to keep me from wanting to murder them. But my love for God keeps me in check. I may want to speak up a storm against another human being, but my love for God keeps my mouth shut. It may be that my relationship with my spouse has deteriorated to such a level that I actually feel justified looking for satisfaction somewhere else. But my love for God keeps my heart and my body at home. Do you see the way this works? These aren't just rules. In effect, God is saying, do you love me? If you really love me, this is how you would act. If you really love me, this is what you would do. We spoke not too long ago about an interaction that Jesus had with a Pharisee. When we did, we looked at the book of Matthew for the story. We're going to look today at the book of Mark instead. The book of Mark chapter 12, starting verse 28, we read, One of the teachers of the religious law was standing listening to the debate. He realized Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Which one matters most? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The Bible goes on to say in verse 32, the teacher of the religious law replied, well said, teacher, well said, Jesus. You have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart, with all my understanding, with all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, the Bible tells us Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask any more questions. Mark's account does not assign the negative motives to the questioner that Matthew does. In fact, his question seems sincere, and Jesus commends him for his understanding and for the movement of his heart toward God. He's asking a question that was actually common among Jewish scholars. Pharisees loved to debate 
minor issues. They, they were into the minor points. They loved to argue for hours over the minor details. Sadly, such an approach can lead to love of study and love of vigorous dialogue while missing the point, while missing the heart of the issue. The Jewish scholars counted 613 laws in the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, also referred to as the Law of Moses. 365 were considered negative prohibitions. Thou shalt not. Don't do this. 248 were positive in nature. Do this. This is important. The leaders commonly drew distinctions between great commandments and small commandments, heavy commandments and light commandments. It is likely that this question was posed to Jesus fairly often. It was on the minds of Jewish scholars and on the minds of Jewish people. Jesus answers with, The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The scholar answers, demonstrates that he got it. He understood Love is more important than offering burnt offerings or the sacrifices required in the law. In other words, sacrifice without love, following rules without love at its basis is meaningless. Do you love me? Do you love others, God asks? If you do, it will look like this. You'll live out these commandments and the nine flow out of the first. You must have no other gods before me. This is the way to love me. Our relationship with God is to be an exclusive relationship, a unique and a special relationship. We're going to head over to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses is ending the near, nearing the end of his life. He's walked with these people as their leader for 40 years and has known them literally all of his life. I like to think of Deuteronomy as the list of reminders moms and dads leave before they go out, especially before they go out for the first time. Moses is about to die. He knows he's going to leave these people alone, and he wants them to understand some things. They've got to have a grasp on this. It's really important. So this is an important list that a parent gives kids, and it's as exhaustive a list as possible. And sometimes, having said that, we miss things on the list. At the end of 2003, we moved into our house in Shanahan. The paint was still fresh and new, the smell of new, was in the air. We left the kids alone. Brian was in eighth grade, Shelly was in sixth grade, which I think makes Nate a first grader. We gave them a list. Believe me, if you're Kim Papp's kid, you get lists. (laughs) At 26, 24, and 18, you get lists. At 52, you get a list. You get lists. It was a good list but apparently was not as exhaustive as it could have been. We didn't tell the kids not to light a fire in the fireplace. Just really didn't think we need to talk about that one. I'm not sure where we were, but I do remember the frantic phone call. Our new house with the new paint was filling with smoke because someone didn't slide the little lever from left to right and make sure that the flue was open. Brian and fires. I don't get it. I just don't get it. He's not here today, so I can show you this. No, it's not a naked baby picture. Uh, This is what he did to our church property. All that black is the fire that Brian started just burning a little bit of trash. 
Still remember that day. He called, Dad, the whole place is on fire. And, you know, and I, I get in the car and I start to drive. And there's this plume of black smoke. I'm imagining half a Shanahan gone. I mean, this is just going to be a disaster. It's horrible. It's over. The little checkerboard down here is uh, our, our, our church garden. And you have Kondraviches down here at the bottom and another house. I mean, all... The better part of the property up front was burned. Basic lesson, my suggestion, if Brian ever offers to grill for you, run. (laughs) Just run. Don't stick around. Anyway, we couldn't make a list exhaustive enough for our kids to cover every dumb thing a kid might do. So further lists were much broader. Things like, don't do anything that might lead to the virtual destruction of our home. Think, think, think. Moses could not list everything that could happen in human life. Let's face it, 613, while it seems like a big number, is really a drop in the bucket when it comes to rules. Just ask a legislator or a government regulator. They have 613 rules on the kind of paper to buy in order to write the report. I mean, this is not a really long list of rules. As Moses prepared to leave the people, it was important to leave them not just a list of rules, but a broader set of guiding principles. Things that would help them to make good decisions when events came up that were not covered in the list of 613. Deuteronomy 6 verse 1 starts by saying, These are the commandments, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you and to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and, and, and that you may increase greatly in the land, flowing in milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. He goes on to say this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word one can also be translated the Lord alone. So the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Do you hear that? They're not just to be written on stone tablets. They're to reside here. They're they're to live in our hearts. They're to live in the attitude of our spirit. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He says, in case there is something that I left out, something that this list of 613 does not cover, Let this principle, let this truth guide your decisions and guide your actions along the way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. You see, if you love him, you'll know what to do. If you worship him exclusively, you'll know what to do. The opening words, hear, O Israel. These words make up what is referred to as the Shema, or the Shema Yisrael. Literally, the words Israel and here. Shema is the word for, for here, and then we have the word Israel. A lot of times it's just referred to with that one word, the Shema. It's like the word we use for our kids. Listen. Would you just listen? Listen, Brian. Listen, Shelly. Listen, Nate. Listen, Israel. Hear this. Now, this is actually 
used for what is called fixed hour prayer. Since ancient times, Jews have taken the command, when you lie down and when you get up, literally. These are the prayers prayed at morning and evening prayer every day. For, so for a, good, uh, for a good Jew, their mind would wake to the phrase, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. As they laid their head down at night, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Now, if you want to learn more about the Shema, let me give you a site. The site is named Aish. It's it, it kind of kind of like the word beige. Do you hear it in there? Aish, okay, A-I-S-H. It's the word Hebrew word for fire. If you were a Hebrew, you'd pronounce it probably more like Esh, Esh, but we're not, so we call it Aish. I discovered this site years ago when I was looking for a live webcam of the wall of Jerusalem. You can actually zero in on people going throughout the day and night all day and night long, standing and praying at the base wall, that foundation wall, that used to uphold the temple there in Jerusalem. And you can gain many insights into ancient and modern Jewish beliefs and customs on that site. For this particular teaching, I want to take you, so you're looking at the site, about two-thirds of the way over, you see the word Judaism 101. I'll circle it for you. Look at that, right there. So if you were to press on Judaism 101, what you'll have come up is kind of a menu, and down toward the bottom, the big red arrow won't be on your computer, but, but <clears throat> you'll see second to the bottom, prayers and blessings. The second one down says Shema Yisrael. And if you click on that, you'll find a beautiful description, an explanation of the ancient and modern practices associated with this among the Jewish people. So for me personally, I've gotten in the habit of, of using this phrase, using this verse, this prayer, uh, generally when I go on a prayer walk. My heart needs to be reminded. It needs to hear this. It needs to be reminded. I'm taken. I'm his. I belong to someone else. I belong to one God, and there is only one God. I need to love that God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I need to be reminded. I'm yours. You're mine. We're in an exclusive relationship. Now, I got to tell you, some days when I pray it, it's like I prayed it. It's done. And some days, it hits me like a ton of bricks. Sometimes it just, it overwhelms me with love for God. Other days, I'll admit, I feel a tinge of guilt or a tinge of regret. The practice of praying these words is like saying I love you to your parent or kids or spouse. We never want to leave the words assumed. We want the person to hear it out loud and to know from our lips, I love you. But you know what? When we say the words out loud, there's another value in that. It's not just so that they hear it. It's so that we hear it. We hear ourselves making the verbal commitment. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. I'm yours. You're mine. I love you. So to begin this series, I want to encourage you to just develop a practice for April and May. For the time that we're in this series. And then you can decide what you're going to do with it from there. It's going to last about 50 days. 50 days from now to the last message in the series. Sometime during the day, maybe twice a day if you want to do it the way the Jewish people do. Sometime during the day, pray these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. You may want to adjust it a bit. You may want to personalize it. You might want to use your own name. Dennis, Love the Lord, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Or maybe just something that's more tender and meaningful. Hear this, my heart. Listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, maybe you don't want to just do this alone. Maybe you want to make it part of a family practice for you. So before you break into your evening meal, why not quote these words aloud? It might look something like this in our house. Paps, listen up. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then go on and pray whatever your normal prayer would be. Hearing it again and again and again drills it into our hearts. And that's where obedience lives. It's to live in our hearts. Then we will find in time that the temptation, when the temptation comes to violate the other nine commandments, those words will come back to us. Hear this, my heart. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. It will not necessarily keep us from temptation, but it will keep us from falling for the temptation when it comes. So you got a little list of things to think about here because I know the way this works. You sit there and you go, well, that sounds kind of interesting. We may try that. And next Sunday you'll be sitting there going, oh man, I was going to try that thing. So, so let's talk real practically here, right? Start by choosing your time. When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this during your day? Uh, I find it helps me to, cho- to choose doing something like this connected with something that I do all the time. So getting out of bed after you, you get out and do that groan. <laughs> Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. Maybe you'll tie it to a particular meal. There's a meal in the day that you'll say, this is, this is when I'll be reminded of saying this. Maybe it's sometime during the day that you go to turn the key in your car. Before you turn that key, just stop long enough. I mean, it's not going to hold you up more than 10 seconds to stop and just pray these words. I think one of the best times may be right after your teeth are freshly brushed. You have that new taste in your mouth. It's a brand new day. And you look up and you go, oh, you. Hey, you need to hear this. Listen, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. So you might want to try any of those. How about who will you pray it with? Is this just going to be you alone? Or are you going to take advantage of what Moses says, that we're to teach our kids along the way? Maybe you'll pray it with your spouse as you lay down to bed. How about with your kid as you tuck them in? Or at the start of a meal or the close of a meal? In fact, you might consider even broadening it a little bit, which one of the decisions you'll have to make is, what version of this are we going to pray? Are we going to pray from Deuteronomy? Are we going to pray from what Jesus said? Are we going to pray from the International Version, from New Living, or ESV, or whatever version you want? But it might look something like this, a broader version. Listen, Southfield, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the words of Jesus from Mark. Just remember to keep it simple and repeatable. And if you do it consistently over a few weeks, those words will start coming quite naturally to you. If you're going to do this with your tribe your kids, your family, you might want to design it together. 
Spend some time just saying, how are we going to do this together over the next several weeks? That practice fits so well with Moses' commandment to teach our kids along the way. An end to idol worship starts with being reminded that there is only one God. We need that reminder. There is only one God. It may seem obvious, but we're idol worshipers. It's not as obvious as we think. We need that reminder. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. An end to idol worship starts with being reminded that my heart belongs to him exclusively. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Our heart requires a daily reminder, I'm yours, you're mine. It's a simple practice, but it can have a profound impact on your life. In the words of Moses, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Not just something you say, but implanted in the soil of our souls. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So next week we'll move on to look at why God desires exclusivity and particularly the idea of God being a jealous God. I mean, you've been telling your kids, don't be jealous, that's a sin. And then you read in the Bible that God's a jealous God. So does that mean God sins? Wait a second, I thought God had no sin. How can you be jealous and righteous at the same time? So as we conclude this teaching, I want to do it together. Let's pray this out loud. Say it with me. Listen, Southfield, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. God, let these words sink into us. Let them become part of our being. The sad fact is we are idol worshipers. We are people who do not treat you like you're the only God. It's not as if we remove you from the mantle. We just have other gods, other idols, sharing space with you. You want us exclusively. I'm yours. You're mine. That's it. We need to be reminded that every ounce of our being is to be turned toward loving the Lord our God. And so I pray today for those of us that choose to take up this practice that you will over the next 50 days allow this truth to sink into the soil of our souls, to allow its roots to grow deeply and some real beauty to grow from it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our server is going to head to the back. They're going to get the baskets and, and start collecting the offering. Make sure you put your card in there. Again, unless you're new. If it's your first time, hold on to your card, bring it to the door, and John Beaker will be standing there and has a gift to, to go ahead and hand you. A few things that we want you to know about. This one's really important. So we're in our final semester for this ministry year of journey groups. They are here. And again, you see the list of groups that are being offered, the opportunities uh, that, that you can jump in on. One we want to share with you is actually a rerun. We just did this group, and it was so good that we're going to go ahead and run it again. It's a group for women. It's called Armor of God, and we want you to watch a little commercial for it. If you're feeling discouraged and defeated, if you're a bit overwhelmed or maybe even feeling undone, if you're wondering whether or not your future has any hope of victory, 
then listen, this Bible study is for you. Strongholds are torn down by the Word of God. Fortresses are dismantled by the Word of God. When you place faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ is credited to your spiritual bank account that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I invite you to join me for a lesson in putting on the full armor of God. Our lives are going to be changed, yours and mine, because we're going to learn that we've got the victory in Jesus' name. We do not very often offer a group and then rerun it immediately. But this group, I I tell you what, the teaching was, was powerful. It was rich and deep. A lot of the people that participated said, I need to hear it again. I didn't catch all of it, and I wanted to really go ahead and sink in. One of the things we're doing for this one is moving the night from Thursday to Tuesday. And part of the reason for moving, you know, sometimes with some of our groups, they get locked in on the same night, and there are some people who can't make it on that particular night, so they're never able to come. So there's that shift for this this seven-week session. If you didn't do that before and you're one of the women of our church, sign up for this group. Register for this group. There's a lot of great teaching that's going to take place in that group. Another one that I want to remind you about is that Outdoor Life will be starting that this Thursday night. And the way that one's going to work, it, you can bring your family if you want. We're actually, start with a meal, short meal, not, not like Thanksgiving dinner or something like that, but a short meal. A lot of times you're running straight from work and you know, we're going to be asking you to do some work, so we want you fainting on the church property or anything like that. So we're going to go ahead and have a little meal and then we're going to do some projects together outside. And, and don't worry, if it rains... There's lots of stuff to do in here, too. So we've got some things that we can join together in and do some, do some work together. And lots of other opportunities. If you're newer to the church, get involved in new connections. Learn to get to know some other people and make those meaningful connections with others. So I really hope you get home, get on, get on and sign up, register for these groups. And I know the way this works for a lot of you. You kind of sit through this commercial every semester and you go, yeah, I'll do that next time. And you know, the first time you said that was 2012. And it's 16 now, and you keep saying, yeah, I'll do it next time. Let this be next time. Most of these groups do not last more than eight weeks. It's not a very long amount of time to spend together in order to connect with other people and learn more about what God has to say for our lives. So again, thank you for being here today. I want to remind you as to leave, there are a few things, especially for the second service, as you're walking out, there are tables on either side of the door, and we have Bibles there. If the Bible you read is kind of, you know, it's one of those that's written in a little bit older English, and it's hard to understand, we've got those there for you. Go ahead and take one. It is yours. Just go ahead and make use of it. Read it and start to get to know what God has to say to you. In this particular group, we, we collect chairs uh, so that the, so that the uh, students can use this on Sunday night and Wednesday. So the carts will be brought out. And it's always important to remember this. I know you're going to go like, really? We're talking about this? On the cart, there are two little bars. And the legs have to go between the two little bars. If the first four aren't between the two little bars, we have stack of chairs on floor. Not good, ugly. Okay? So get them in between the two little bars. We appreciate so much that you do that. I'll tell you what, it's a lot faster for all of us to do that than for me to do, for Brian to do it alone. So, you know, it just, it works out really well that we go ahead and do that. And always we want you to remember that at the end of the service, if there's something going on in your Emmaus journey that's been difficult or something that you want to celebrate, back in the corner there's a table that has the word prayers on it and there's a person standing back there more than willing to spend some time praying with you. Let's stand together. God, help us to hear the words, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And God, help us, help us to love our neighbors as ourselves, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us today.